Hey, good morning, Barn Church. Man, I wish I could be with you all this morning. I'm in Dallas at a uh, leader summit for World Leader Summit for Christians United for Israel, and we're going to be here a couple of days. And uh, so, uh, but I'm very excited. I know you guys are going to have a great service today, and uh, I just wanted to introduce to you our special guest speaker this morning, Angel Hunt from Hugoton, Kansas. Angel lived at Muleshoe for years and years and years, and she's been real active in the New Horizons Emmaus community. She has a revelation on explaining the importance of discipleship that I couldn't wait for her to come and share it with you guys. You know, I've been teaching on discipleship for years and years and and uh, boy, she just, she just absolutely nails it. This is a great message uh, and she has a great heart for the church and for what the church needs to do in the times that we're living in. So. I want you guys to give a West Texas Barn Church welcome to Sister Angel Hunt, who's going to share with us now. Man, I'm excited to be here. Um, part of me is like so nervous I want to throw up. And the other part of me is super excited to share with you guys uh, what God's put on my heart. But um, I kind of brought this on myself. Me and Guy worked a walk last weekend together, and I was asked to give the talk discipleship. And after I gave the talk, um, I kind of felt like it just didn't click. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't, it didn't really fit. And um, when I walked back into the room, the first person I ran to, into was Guy. And of course, I share my heart with him. And of course, he shares some encouraging words. And I sit back down at my table and I said, okay, Lord, I want to get better at this. I want to get better at public speaking. I've always told myself I'm not good at it. And I'm going to quit speaking that over myself. And so every opportunity you give me from this point forward, I'm going to take it. If you open the door for me to public speak somewhere and talk about you, I'm going to take it. And that was on Saturday night. And then Sunday, the walk finished. And then Monday morning, I get a call from Guy Walker. Hey, you want to come speak at my church? And I was like, just kidding. <laughs> okay. So here I am. Um, like he said, my name is Angel Hunt. A lot of you guys I know, which is awesome because familiar faces help me feel at peace. And um, I'm married to Corey Hunt, and we have three kiddos. Um, my oldest is Kyson, who is fixing to be nine. And then my middle is Caden, who's six. And then my youngest is Callie, who is fixing to be four. And um, my husband wanted to be here today, but he's a crop duster. And so this is his busiest time of year. So he is spraying sun up to sundown. So... He's definitely with us right now in his heart, but he's not here today, which is awesome because now I can talk about him, and he can't rebuttal. Um, I, uh, if you talk to my husband and you say, hey, man, how long have you been married? He'll tell you, I've been happily married for eight years, and then I will look at him and say, babe, it's been longer than that, and he'll say, oh, I know. We've been married almost 15 years, but I've been happily married for eight of those years. And I, I can totally agree with him because our first seven years of marriage were a little rough. Um, I can remember our first fight, actually. We had just got married. And I was cooking fried potatoes because in Corey's food pyramid, the part that shows fruits and vegetables is completely gone. And what's in that place is fried potatoes. And so I was cooking fried potatoes, and we sat down to eat. And we're eating, and we're totally enjoying this awesome meal. And then he all of a sudden says something. He says, hey, babe you should ask my mom how she makes her fried potatoes. And I sat there for a second thinking, oh, where's this going to go? So I said, why is that? And he said, I like hers better. All right. 
how about you let your mama make your fried potatoes? And we got into a little bit of a tift, uh, but I did eventually get over it. I realized that, you know, 21 years old, brand new married, I was a little bit immature. 21 years old, brand new married, he was a little bit dumb. So <laughs> we, I did eventually get over it. I went to his mom. I said, okay, Corey likes your fried potatoes better than mine. Will you teach me? And she did. And there was only really one big difference between how she did it and how I did it. She used the lid to her electric skillet. And I thought, well, that's dumb. That can't make that big of a difference. Y'all, it makes a big difference. Use the lid to your electric skillet if you're going to make fried potatoes. It makes a huge difference, actually. So the next time I made fried potatoes, I did everything that LaVon told me to do. She said, put them in, cover them, let them cook seven to eight minutes, take the lid off, stir them, and then however long you want to cook them till they're crispy and they're done. Perfect. So I did all of that. And I go to take the lid off and to stir the potatoes. And now, mind you, I had never done this before. I'd never used the lid to my electric skillet. And so I go and I take the lid, and instead of me moving it off and setting it off to the side, I picked it up and I just kind of turned it, you know, and all that condensation had collected on the lid, and all that rolled down into the water, I mean into the grease, and you can imagine the, the display of grease that I had going everywhere, and I ruined one of my favorite shirts because of it. And so to this day, 15 years in marriage, I have never once forgotten to take the lid off, and I just chunk it now, like... <laughs> I don't want one little drop of water falling into that grease. And why? We all know why, especially us women in the room. Why? Because water and oil don't mix. So when I started preparing for my discipleship talk and asking the Lord, what do you want me to say? He gave me this picture of water and oil not mixing. And so um, I have a jar and there's water in the bottom, and I dropped a couple of drops of food coloring in there so that you could kind of see the separation better. And then there's oil. And it's so awesome because our walk was planned to happen a year ago, and then COVID ended up coming, and so we had to move the walk a year later. And so this jar that I had was just sitting in my bathroom, and it's been sitting there this whole time for a year. And occasionally I pick it up and I shake it because I'm just wondering, okay, over time, will things break down eventually and the water and oil will mix over time? But it's been amazing. I'm amazed every time. I'm like, this is so cool. Water and oil don't mix. So when I shake it, you can see that they're mixed for a little bit. But here in just a couple of minutes, or actually less than a couple of minutes, you start to see that separation. And you start to see that oil separating from the water. And the Lord said that this is a picture of discipleship. When he gave me that picture, I wanted to know why. Why does water and oil not mix? So I started Googling, and I came across a really cool term that chemists use, and it's called the like-dissolves-like rule. And pretty much it says um, any substance that has a similar characteristic to another substance will dissolve into each other. So like the food coloring with the water, when I dropped it in there, the food coloring and the water immediately dissolved into each other, and they're not gonna, I cannot separate them back out. But the food coloring and the oil did not dissolve it together because they're not similar. And the same concept can be applied when being a disciple. Let me show you a picture up here. We have a square and a rectangle. And I have been terrible at math my entire life. So I called my best friend and said, okay, let me make sure this is right. And I told her and she was like, good job. So um, a rectangle is a quadrilateral where all four angles are right angles. A square is also a quadrilateral where all four angles are right angles and all four sides are the same length. 
So by definition, every square is a rectangle, right? But not every rectangle is a square. The same is true for Christians. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. I want to say that again so it kind of gets in your head. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. And I can say that with a surety because it used to be me. I was raised in an amazing family, amazing church. I was a Christian since I was little. When people ask, when were you saved? I have no idea. I just always remember loving Jesus. I just always remember serving him. But the older I've gotten, the more I have stayed inside of what I feel like is called my Christian bubble. It is safe inside of my Christian bubble. I have lots of Christian friends. It's where I'm comfortable, and it's safe there. And the Lord started really dealing with me on, you're a Christian, but you have got to bust out of your bubble. Because inside of that bubble, when I'm there for too long, my faith becomes stagnant. Stagnant means it's dull, it's boring, it's um, showing no activity. When you think about stagnant water, it's just sitting there and then it starts stinking. And that's what the Lord was revealing to me. When you stay inside of that Christian bubble, your faith becomes stagnant and your vision is lost. And the Bible is very clear about what happens when we don't have vision. We perish. Lack of vision, we perish. And so I started thinking, man, I love Jesus. I go to church. I read my Bible some. I pray a lot. Like, I'm doing things for the Lord because I'm living my life for him. But I was not doing the one thing that he called me to do. And it's, it's my job. It's your job. If you call yourself a Christian, it is your job. And that is be a disciple. So let me define what disciple is. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So I start thinking a student, um, someone who learns, they gain information, they study. Think of a follower. If you're following somebody, you're mimicking their moves. They go left, you go left, they go right, you go right. You see everything that they're doing everywhere that they go. And then I immediately went to Jesus' disciples. I was like, okay, they were disciples of Jesus. That's what we're called to do is be a disciple. So what did they see in Jesus? What, what were some of the characteristics that they saw in Jesus? And I started thinking about all the things that they saw. And I'm going to quickly name a few. Um, when they saw the compassionate side of Jesus, they saw him healing lepers touching them when nobody else would touch them, opening blind eyes. Um, they saw the brokenhearted side of Jesus when he wept because his, best, or his friend Lazarus had died, and he wept over the spiritual ignorance of Jerusalem. They saw him in stressful situations. Whenever he slept in the middle of a storm, there's a t-shirt out there that says, when you're going through the storm, take a nap. Hallelujah. I love naps. Um, he would go alone away with his father to pray when there was a stressful situation. The fun side of Jesus. They saw that Jesus was fun, y'all. Oh my goodness, growing up, I never thought about Jesus being fun. I, I always thought about him being very dignified and very proper. And Jesus had fun. If the little children were coming to him and the disciples were saying, no, 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 go away. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. And he rebuked his disciples saying, let them come to me. There was something about Jesus that made him fun. Because kids don't like boring people. They like fun people. And then he attended a wedding, like his very first miracle, turning water into wine. If he went to a wedding, that had to be a lot of fun. So there was a fun side to Jesus. And then my favorite, I saved my favorite for last, the rule breaker side of Jesus. Um, when he would talk to the Samaritan woman at the well, 
and you were not supposed to cross those cultural boundaries. And when he um, cleared the temple, when he walked in the temple and he took a whip and just whoosh and cleared it out, like that's amazing. Every time he talked to the Pharisees, you know, every time they said, man, you're not supposed to be doing this on the Sabbath. Every time he talked to them, it was just firm and put them in their place. And my favorite story is whenever him and the disciples are walking through the grain and the, the disciples are plucking the heads and they're eating them and it's on the Sabbath and the Pharisees say, hey, 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 your disciples are breaking Sabbath. They're not supposed to be doing that. And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You know what I mean? Like the rule breaker side of Jesus was like amazing. And so the disciples are seeing all of these aspects of Jesus and they're learning. They are following, they are studying, and they are learning about Jesus. So much so that it radically transformed their lives. They were one person. They met Jesus and they became totally different. Check out this quote. I was one way and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Chosen. There's a series out right now called The Chosen. If you have not seen it, you should see it. I'm going to make a little plug right there. It, it's a series where it talks about Jesus and, the, and his life and the disciples, and it is powerful. So go look it up. It's really good. But that's where this quote was taken. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was Jesus. I was talking to a missionary couple this past week. Um, I went to kids camp, and got home last night, and I was really tired, and my, I can't believe I have a voice because I screamed way too much, but I was talking to a missionary couple there at camp, and I asked them, we were in good conversation, they were sharing lots of stories, miracles, signs, and wonders, y'all, amazing things, and I asked them, what is discipleship to you guys, what is discipleship, and he said, it's walking hand in hand with others through life, ultimately leading them to Jesus. Discipleship is you being Jesus made flesh. Discipleship is friendship rooted in the love of Christ. And then he takes out his phone and he starts showing me picture after picture after picture. They're swimming at the river and they have a Muslim family with them. They're sitting around their kitchen table and they're eating with another family. They're going to the park and they're swinging and the women are swinging their kids with a different family. And he says, this is our discipleship program. It doesn't have a title. It doesn't have a place where you meet and you, and you meet every Wednesday or every Tuesday. This is our discipleship. It's one-on-one -on -one friendship rooted in love. You being Jesus made flesh. Listening to them talk. Oh my goodness. It just moved me so much because they, they get it. He said one thing to me and it just like struck so hard. He said, Discipleship is not a program, and, it, and the church has kind of lost that. Because when you turn it into a program, it kills the effectiveness. Because it is not a program. It is something that we do out of love for people. And you cannot, you cannot bring others to know Christ if all you do is sit in your Christian bubble. You have to bust out of your Christian bubble. My husband is amazing at this. I had no clue until I started preparing this talk when I really started thinking about this. How amazing is it this? So he's a crop duster. I don't know if you know any crop dusters, and I'm not knocking on any crop dusters because my husband is one. But 
they, um, they like their job. They, they take some pride in their job that they're a crop duster. And so we attend a crop dusters convention every year. And man, you walk in that room and it's like, man, it is full of some guys that are just like, I'm a crop duster. You know what I mean? You can just feel the pride, not necessarily a bad way, but you can just feel it. Well, there's also a lot of secularism um, in that industry, lots of drinking and, and different things of that sort. And we're different. Me and Corey, we, we choose not to drink. And I'm not going to get on that topic. I'm just saying for us, we just choose that that's what we feel like we need to do. So we choose to not. And every year we go to this convention. And every year we're around people that partake in those things. And every year we just, we just jump in and just love on them, talk to them, create friendship, create relationship. At first I was a little... Uh, nervous because I'm not used to being around that crowd. I'm used to being around my little Christian bubble. But the more every year I went with Corey, the more I started realizing, just love these people. Just love them, man. Create friendship. Create friendship. Well, a couple years ago, we had a girl come up to us, and it it was when nobody else was around, and she said, I got to talk to y'all. And we were like, what's up? And she said, I've watched you guys for years now come to these Crop Dusters convention. I've watched y'all. And she, then she starts crying, and I'm like, don't cry, don't cry. And she's like, y'all are different. I don't know what it is about you, but you're different. She said, I noticed y'all never drink, ever. But I noticed you guys have so much fun. And I'm sitting here thinking, how do you have fun if you're not participating in what everybody else is doing? And it was such an open door to minister to her, to tell her we're different. But, man, we're not fuddy duds. Christians should not be boring, We should not be boring people. We should be so fun that the world is like, what is it that you have that makes you so much fun? Because I got to have this, this, and this to have fun. All you need is Jesus. Who's Jesus? That's what the world should be asking us. And that's what she was pretty much asking. How do you guys have fun and look like you're so much fun, but you're not doing any of the stuff that everybody else is doing? And Corey was like, it's Jesus, man. You can have fun, but you can still live for Jesus. And what a testimony. It was so encouraging to me to see like, wow, you can bust out of your Christian bubble and you can make a difference. You can bust out of your Christian bubble and you can make a difference. We don't have Jesus in real time, flesh and blood, right now on this earth like the disciples did. But I want you to look at a verse. Look at John 16, 7. If you have your Bible, turn over to John 16, 7. So we don't have Jesus' flesh and blood, but he says we actually have something better. John 16, 7 says, But I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper... Comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Jesus tells us it's to your advantage that I'm not here walking in flesh and blood because he can only be at one place at one time. But guess what? I leave, I send the Holy Spirit who is everywhere, at all places, at all times, He's talking to me, he's talking to you, he's talking to you, he's talking to you. He's everywhere at all times. Keep going in that chapter. John 16, go down to verse 13 and 14. 
But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, full and complete truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but he will speak whatever he hears from the father, the message regarding the son, and he will disclose to you what is to come in the future. He will glorify and honor me because he, the Holy Spirit, will take from what is mine and will disclose it to you. Talking to this missionary couple, there were two things that they kept saying over and over and over again. And I talked to them for a couple of hours. And the two things that they kept saying over and over and over again were the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Every time I asked a question, the Bible says. Every time I asked, how in the world were y'all doing this? The Holy Spirit. And I was like, there it is. There's your power. There's your truth. To be a disciple, the Holy Spirit is your power. And you have to know the truth, the Bible says. I asked God to give me a picture when it came to the Holy Spirit's power. I asked him, give me a picture. Because I do really good with visuals, obviously. I have a PowerPoint and a little jar right here. I do really well with visuals. So I'm like, give me a picture, Lord. And he showed me a very, very dark room where you could see nothing. And then all of a sudden, the candle lit. And where that candle lit, man, all eyes go straight to that candle. And it's making a bit of a difference in that room. It's lighting it up. You can see little bits and pieces. You got to get close to some things, but you can see it. But then the Lord said, when you have the Holy Spirit, it's like, picture the Phantom of the Opera. So Corey took me to the Phantom of the Opera when we were, uh, when we first got married on our honeymoon. And I was just like, oh, I love this. And he was sitting there like, oh, dear goodness, get us out of here. But the Phantom of the Opera, we were sitting in this super dark theater. And it, it, was, it was super quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And all of a sudden, this, this noise, you hear that noise, and then this light comes out of nowhere. And it's a spotlight that's up top, you know, at the very top, and it's shining down onto the stage. Well, when that spotlight came on, that room lit up. But it was the only light in the entire room on. But you could see everything in the entire room, especially where it was shining. And so I was like, that's it. That's power. When you are a Christian, you are a candle. Yes, you are burning for Jesus. Yes, you're making a difference where you're at. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you got, you got power. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you operate in a different level. You see things that you've never seen before. He quickens you. He quickens you. And you know instantly, I need to pray. You know instantly, I'm in a dangerous place right now. That's happened to me before. Oh, man, I was walking in a Walmart parking lot. I was all by myself. And I'm one of those people that I'm just like, the world is made of roses and butterflies and do, 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 do. And out of nowhere, boom, quickening in my spirit. I don't feel safe. Something's wrong. I don't feel safe. And I start paying attention and I have a man following me. It's dark. It's nighttime. I have a man following me and I start looking around. There is nobody else around in this parking lot. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel in danger. And I turn around and I faced him because I didn't know what else to do. And I, I, when I turned and faced him, he stopped and we were just, a, you know, from me, from me, this gal right here, we were about that close to each other. And I said, you go away. And he just kind of looked at me and I was like, oh, I hope he is a bad guy. Cause if he's not, this is really weird. <laughs> but I was like, you go away. And he was like, uh, uh, and I said, do you need something? He said, no, I was just, uh, I was just, uh, and he turned around and started walking away. And I was like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He quickened me immediately to know something, something bad was going to happen. That's my power, y'all. 
I can be a Christian, but when I have the Holy Spirit, mm, I'm empowered to be a disciple. I don't even know where I'm at. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So we've been given the Holy Spirit. We also have been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is our lifeline to understanding how to become a strong disciple of Jesus. To the extent that you know the Bible is to the extent that you are a disciple. I want you to really think about that. To the extent that you know God's word is to the extent that you are a disciple. How many of us know, know random lyrics to like thousands of songs? How many of us know um, sports statistics? And you can name like all these amazing sports statistics. But how many of us struggle with like, I think the Bible says somewhere in, hmm. Why, why, why are we so quick at retaining things that really honestly have no matter, like don't matter in our lives, but we're so slow to retain something that is actually our lifeline? To the extent that you know the Bible is to the extent that you are a disciple. I want you to think about how often you read the word. Do you think you'd even miss it if it were taken away from you? Because to the extent that you are a disciple is to the extent that you will not assimilate into this culture. Assimilate's a big word. So if you think of a synonym word, absorb. To the extent that you are a disciple is to the extent that you will not absorb into this world. Once you think about this jar, like dissolves like. We were called to not absorb into this world. We're called to go in and be a disciple the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. You were called to make disciples. You are not called to assimilate. Like dissolves like. What is it inside of you that you carry? If it's a lot like this world, you will dissolve. But if it's a lot like Jesus, you're going to assimilate, and you're going to create instead of assimilating. We are not called to assimilate. We are called to create. It's been stirring in me for quite some time now um, that we as Christians are doing more assimilating and doing less creating. And it's happening very slowly, very subtly, but it's just... Mm, it's creeping into our lives, it's creeping into our families, it's creeping into our churches. And why? Why, God? Why is the world slowly changing us instead of us changing the world? G.K. Chesterton said something that has rocked me. I want to, like, tattoo this on my forehead. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting it has been found difficult and left untried. We are weak. I can say that because I'm the first one to get in that line to say I am weak. It is hard to be a disciple. Matthew 10, 37. If you want to flip there really quick, you can. If not, just listen to these words. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus is talking. And he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who does not take his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, perhaps suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me, is not worthy of me. That is hard to read. That is hard to hear. That is hard to understand. And that is why that verse probably doesn't get preached very much in church. Because Jesus is saying, I require total commitment. And we don't understand what commitment is. Because when it gets hard, a lot of times, that's what we see in our culture. We bail. This is too hard. I'm bailing. Man, where is, our, where is that fire in us? The Holy Spirit. That's where he is. That's where your power is. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Bible says. The Holy Spirit. The Bible says. That's your power. That's your truth. There was a popular phrase I heard growing up. Um, my dad had it like all over a Christian t-shirt. And it said, in this world, but not of this world. Have y'all heard that phrase? So I like it. I get it. It's taken out of Romans 12 too, where it says, don't be conformed any longer to this world. So I get, I get the purpose of it. But I think it's lacking a little bit. Because you can be in this world and not of this world and still be doing nothing for this world to make an impact in the kingdom. And that's what, forgive me, please don't take me wrong when I say this, but that's what a lot of us Christians do. I got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. Out there in the real world, it's hard. People are mean. I'm not smart. I don't know the Bible that well. Oh, I can, I, I'm feeding y'all the same excuses I've had my whole life. I don't know the Bible that well. What if they ask me a hard question and I can't answer it? Well, what if they ask you a hard question about cooking and you can't answer it? What do you do? You go look it up. So if somebody asks me a hard question about the Bible and I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know, but I know this guy named Guy Walker, and he's really smart. Let me make a phone call, and I'll get back to you. That is not a hard answer. And you have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach me. He can bring something to your mind you've never learned before. Do you know that? It's crazy what he can do. You can be in this world, not of this world, and still be new, doing nothing for this world to impact the kingdom of God. John 17, 14. This is my last verse, and I want you guys to really hear this. John 17, 14. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's talking to the Father. And this, these few verses, man, they really, really pretty much weave this whole message together in these, in these couple of verses. So stay with me. Um, they're powerful. Jesus is talking to the Father, and he's praying to, for his disciples. And he says, I have given to them your word, the message you gave me, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world and do not belong to the world, just as I am not of the world and do not belong to it. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I also have commissioned and sent them, believers, into the world. I love those verses. I love how he's praying that over his disciples. I plug my name in there, and it makes it so much more real to me. 
But he's saying, they're not of the world. Set them apart. Sanctify them in truth. And just as you sent me, I send them. So that, that quote that we've heard growing up, in this world, not of this world, I want to tweak it just a little bit. And I want it to say, in this world, not of this world, but sent into the world. Because we have a job. And our job is to make disciples. And you cannot make disciples if you are living inside of your Christian bubble. You might encourage another believer. You might build them up. But we are, we are called to do a job. We have a job. And it cannot be ignored, especially today, especially in our culture today. Oh, my goodness, people need Jesus. They need Jesus in flesh. That's me. That's you. So how do we do this? How do we become strong, passionate, faithful disciples of Jesus in a culture that is literally so anti-Christ it's sickening? It's anti-morality, it's anti-Christianity, it's anti-Bible. How do we do this? And this is my favorite part. Oh, this is my favorite part. We have to do what Daniel did. So if you go read the book of Daniel, I'll give you a quick history. Daniel was captured, um, or Judah was captured by Babylon, and Daniel was living in Judah. And they were taken and put into Babylon. Now, Babylon was the exact opposite of Judah. Judah served the one true living God. They studied scriptures. Babylon was pagan. Lots of immorality, lots of little gods that they served. It was the exact opposite. And the king says, all right, I want the cream of the crop. I want the young men. He picks the young men for a reason. There's power in that. Our youth are going to lead our nation. If we aren't pouring into our youth, we are setting this nation up for failure. We have got to pour into our young people. But he takes the young people and he says, I want the, men, the, the boy, the young men who are handsome, who are smart, and who um, come from royal descent. So he is picking the cream of the crop. He's picking the ones that everybody else look up to. He's smart. The king is smart. So he takes the, those young men and he tells his leaders, I want you to indoctrinate them. I want you to change their name. I want you to change their education and teach them what we do. And I, I want you to even go down all the way down. I want you to change what they eat. And that's what they start doing. And there's something about Daniel and his three buddies. We know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there's something about Daniel. And it says it in verse 1, 8. Daniel 1, verse 8. It's just three words, but Daniel resolved, but Daniel resolved, taken from a place where he lived inside his Christian bubble into a place that was the exact opposite, and every day pounded with that culture, every day, but Daniel resolved. What does it mean to be resolved? It means to be firmly determined. I am standing right here. I am not budging. I am drawing my line. I am resolved. That's what he did. Before Daniel ever faced the king's indoctrination, he had already resolved. Before he was ever told to eat the delicacies of food that was offered to idols, he had already resolved. Before he ever faced the lion's den, he had already resolved. Those other young men of Judah, 
They were raised just like Daniel, knowing the one true God, studying scriptures. I mean, completely knowing signs, miracles, and wonders. And they crumbled under that culture, under that pressure. Why? I don't know. But there was something here. There was something inside Daniel that said, nope, I will be resolved. And that is what we are called to do. Two things that will set, set us apart. Power and truth. If that's the only thing you walk away from today, power and truth. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says. If you are spending more time with cultural things and less time with Jesus, then you will not be equipped to handle the pressure of this culture because it is insanely pressure. If all you do with your spare time is watch TV and binge Netflix, you're going to be in trouble. If all you do is read books that are self-help books, go for it. Those are good books. But you never pick up your Bible, you are going to be in trouble. If you are not feeding your life with the word, and feeding your life in prayer, and feeding your spirit man, then you will eventually assimilate. You will eventually dissolve. I don't want to hang out at the top all the time with my Christian bubble. It's nice up there. It's safe up there. I, I feel way better being around Christian people than I do sometimes being around secular people. So I like being up there. But that is not what we're called to do. We are called to go into this world, and we are called to make a difference. But when you're in the world, you cannot assimilate. You cannot slowly absorb. You have to rise back up and find truth. Then you go back down, and you give it away. Then you rise back up, and you find truth. Then you go back down, and you give it away. you got to bring people with you. I don't want to go to heaven by myself. I want to go to heaven. And when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, I want to have thousands of people behind me that are saying, I'm here because of her. I'm here because of her. And I have influence. You may be sitting there thinking, I really don't have that many friends. I really don't know who to, who to impact. I really don't know. Number one, start praying then that the Holy Spirit will show you people who are in your life who you can impact. But then number two, just open your eyes because we are all living in this world. So I don't care what your age is. Don't throw me that excuse. There was a lady sitting at my table on the walk to Emmaus who radically like impacted my life huge. She was like 70 years old and she was amazing. And I'm like, you're not done yet. If you're still breathing, <laughs> God still has a plan for you. You're not done yet. So age doesn't matter. If you're, if you're young and you're like, I, I don't even read my Bible, that's okay. Start today. Watch the Holy Spirit work in your life. I fell. Um, uh, this last December, I had a really freak accident, and I've always considered myself pretty athletic, um, so this was a major pride hurter, but I fell on some ice, and when I got back up, I felt like my tailbone had been broken, and then in the process, I had some pain in my neck. So long story short, I cracked my tailbone, 
and I ended up getting three bulging discs in my neck. And it has been a beast to recover from this. But God is good. I went to the hospital because I thought my tailbone for sure is broken. So we need to get an x-ray just to see if what I need to do for it. And I met a doctor there, the ER doctor. And in random happenstance, which is not random, um, he happened to be a missionary, former missionary, godly man. And we start talking. And I cannot remember a thing of what we talked about. But there was two words that he spoke to me. And when I got home from the ER, I immediately wrote them down in my Bible. And he said, intimacy and identity. And that's what the church is lacking. Intimacy with the Father. Time with the Father. Jesus modeled it for us. Get away for a while and spend time with him. Do it daily. Intimacy with the Father. And then identity. We live so much in the, man, I used to be. I'm different now, but I can't let go of what I've done. When you know your identity in Jesus, you become powerful. Intimacy and identity. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that's your power, that's your truth. And those are the two things that will equip you to become disciples for Jesus.